The seed of an urban legend find fertile soil at the corner of tragedy and imagination. Tom Quackenbush We Shadows You're listening to Sonic Dawn. The Terror of Thetford Forest by Justin Boot Cryptozoologist Tom Robbins knelt onto the damp twigs and pine needles and stared at the sight before him. He wanted to take a plaster cast of the print but feared that his trembling hands might betray him. He looked around the forest, as though someone might be watching him. Someone with a camera, perhaps, recording the evident joke he was being subjected to because what his eyes were seeing did not compute with what his brain was telling him. It could only, scientifically, be a joke. He looked at the remains of the dead sheep next to the print. Its throat had been ripped out, its stomach opened to reveal a few mangled intestines among the already dried blood, a perfect example of the work of a large feline, which is what he had come to Thetford Forest to investigate. Unfortunately, the print beside it did not belong to a large feline as he had expected to find. It could only possibly belong to a... It's possible, he whispered. He mentally recalled the interview he had conducted with the witness, a Mrs. Redford. Had there been any sense of a prank being played on him? He didn't think so. Quite the opposite, in fact. She had looked quite worried, and with reason. It wasn't every day that one saw what they believed to be a puma roaming around the kids' park in eastern England. He'd received the call from her following an advertisement he placed in the local paper, asking for anyone to call him should any anomalies be seen regarding the animal world. Strange behavior, sightings of unexpected out-of-place animals. Anything that might be considered bizarre. Although where his real interest lay was in the possible existence of large felines roaming wild and living freely, there was plenty of evidence to suggest that this was the case. And as he was the local coordinator for Norfolk, for the magazine he worked for, he wanted to be the one to discover them in his home country. And if there was an area that they might possibly live without encrusting on humans, it was Thetford Forest. Fifteen square miles of reasonably thick forest interspersed with fields where sheep and a few cows grazed. It was here that in the last month four mutilated sheep had been discovered by their irate owner, presenting all the marks of a feline attack. It was shortly after this latest finding that Mrs. Redford had called him to say that she, among others, had seen a large muscular beast prowling along the edge of the forest, near to a children's park. It was bigger than a German Shepherd, she said, light brown in color, and an enormously long, bushy tail. When she threw a stone at it, it hissed and jumped over a high wooden fence with no problem at all. To Tom, it sounded almost too good to be true. And apparently, it was too good to be true. 
for the print embedded in the soft mud near the sheep carcass was human, except that it must have been walking barefoot, had only four toes, and there were small holes past the tips of each toe. That suggested claws. Very large claws. Felines had retractable claws and didn't leave marks. Drops of cold rain began to seep through the network of leaves, pines, and branches, the occasional one splashing on his neck, sending an instant shiver down his spine, causing him to cringe. Damn it, he said. If the rain got any heavier, it would fill the deep-set print and wash away his evidence, if evidence it was. He brought out the kit from his rucksack, prepared the mix, then poured it slowly into the print. After ten minutes, it was dried, which had given him plenty of time to look further around for any other prints or signs of human activity, because Tom was still convinced that a prank had been played. The field was on the outskirts of the forest. A road ran nearby which allowed nature lovers to park and wander through the many trails, hamper in hand, binoculars around their necks. It was also not uncommon for youngsters to use the area for their clandestine drink or drug parties, or exploit one another's bodies in the relatively secluded and private area. Was it possible that a group of kids had thought it extremely hilarious to play a prank on whoever would be the first to discover the dead sheep? Tom thought it might, but they would have been very dedicated to the task, because the sheep was already stinking to high heaven and the first maggots were squirming among its intestines. But what if it wasn't? Better to be safe and take a cast, just in case. Tom collected the dried cast, and headed back to his car, unsure how to feel at that moment. The ever-present doubt was there, but the adrenaline that ran through him was an indication of achievement, discovery. What if he had discovered evidence of some unknown creature, or perhaps some deformed mutation? It wasn't entirely beyond the realms of possibility. And if large felines could survive almost undetected, well, it was perhaps by thinking these thoughts as he entered his car that he failed to hear the low, guttural growl that emanated from nearby. A large creature was staring at him from behind a pine tree from red, burning orbs. The rage and hunger that flowed from them only comparable to that of a desperate, rabid monster. You want another swig? asked David. Not trying to get me drunk, are you? replied his girlfriend Sophie, a betraying gleam in her eye as she took the bottle of wine. Me? Whatever for? I couldn't begin to guess. That's not being fair. Just being polite, he replied, faking a childish look of annoyance. Sophie chuckled, took a great swig, then burped loudly, provoking a fit of drunken laughter from both. That went down well, she said, then took another. She put the bottle down and snuggled up to him. So, why did you bring me all the way out here in the middle of nowhere? she asked, cuddling up to him on the thin rug they had brought with them. To show you the wildlife. Thetford Forest's full of it. At that moment, an owl hooted in the distance. See? Told you so. 
Sophie looked at him for a few seconds, then, unable to come up with a witty response, threw herself on top of him. Okay, let's see your wildlife. Personally, I like big snakes myself, she said, and together they began to kiss and roll around on the floor, when a loud snapping sound caused them both to jump, startled. Sophie bolted upright. What was that? She said, looking wildly around the forest. Neither had thought to bring a flashlight. The light from the full moon and their cell phones they both considered sufficient to illuminate each other. Besides, they didn't want to be caught frolicking around by any warden. At only 16 years old, they could be in for some awkward questions from irate parents if found in compromising positions. Another snapping sound from close by that sounded suspiciously like a large twig frightened them further. Shit, said David. Maybe it's the warden. Apparently there's been an animal of some kind hunting the farmer's sheep in the area. Keep quiet. They huddled together uneasy. But at the same time, the alcohol content provoking short, stifled giggles. Shh, said David. Sophie put a hand in her mouth, then dropped it and began screaming, as from above, a great black shadow passed rapidly over them, beating immense wings, something that resembled a giant owl. As David would later state to the police, it circled the open space above them, crawling in triumph, then flew down, grabbed Sophie in great fur-covered claws, and headed off again into the night sky the creature apparently having no problem at all with the 51 kilos of Sophie's weight. David could still hear her screams over his own, before hers were abruptly cut off from somewhere high above the tree canopy. The next day, the police found her disemboweled body, her intestines missing, as was her head. Tom checked extensively on the internet for any other prints that may have a similarity and failed. The nagging doubt that it was a fake still haunted him, so he didn't want to risk embarrassment by announcing his find to anyone else just yet. He'd wait until another carcass was discovered, surely a matter of time, and tried to be among the first on the scene. In the meantime, he had work to do. As a computer programmer and technician, his calls for help were constant in the small village of Bradwell where he lived. This was good, as it paid the bills, but it also enabled him to work from home and keep a curious eye on any news that he might find interesting. The interview with Mrs. Redford had been promising. He'd shown her a series of photos ranging from wolves to German shepherds to large cats and she had been adamant that what had terrified her had been what he had suspected, a puma. He'd sent a report to Animals and Men, the magazine he worked for, which privately he thought a very suspicious name for a magazine, with details of the sightings and was feeling confident that soon real photographic or physical evidence would surface. It was after finishing a computer repair job that he decided to flick through the cryptozoologist's bible. On the track of unknown animals, by Huville Mullins, when suddenly he stopped. His heart began to beat faster. An adrenaline rush made him shudder with excited anticipation. There before him was a creature, reports placing it many years before in roughly the same area, 
but he had clawed feet exactly like the cast he had taken. A fine tingle rose from the base of Tom's spine to the tip of his neck. He put down the book and stared at the blank wall of his office, drumming his fingers on his desk. I don't believe it. There has to be a connection here. All the evidence is there. Assuming the report is correct and not exaggerated, it can mean only one thing. All thoughts of being the first to prove large felines were living and breeding freely in the wild were cast aside. Here was something much bigger. Something that would see his name in all the great journals. Hell, even the scientific name of the thing might bear his surname. According to the newspaper report, the police had dismissed the account of the distraught boy as far-fetched, no doubt induced by alcohol and possibly illicit substances. But they cannot account for the mutilation of Sophie or any possible suspects. They assumed a madman was perhaps living in the forest, or perhaps a large rogue carnivore, how ironic, he thought, and come across two kids by chance. But Tom had a different idea, and the plaster to prove it. Though his acquaintance at the Eastern Daily Press, who had given him the name of the Puma Witness, he was told the exact location of Sophie's body. Tom wasn't too surprised to learn that it was in the same area as the mutilated sheep carcass he had found. With a sense of both excitement and a certain unease at what he might encounter, he packed his rucksack and set off for the Thetford Forest once again. Farmer Pete Guile stared at the remains before him, tears of both anger and sorrow in his eyes. Bastard, what the hell could do such a thing? There's no way any dog could have done that to my poor sheep. Farmer Giles shook with fury. He would give anything right now to catch the animal that had dismembered another of his prized sheep and rip its head off. Or feed it to his pigs, alive if possible. It was the fourth he had lost in under two months, and neither the police nor the forestry department had any answers to give him put bigger locks on their pen, and higher fences, they have said. And when he told them that the lock had never been broken, or the gate smashed, and that the only way for the sheep to be outside the pen was to have been lifted over it, they had mumbled something about ghosts or nutters and made a hasty retreat. So he figured it was down to him to act. He looked at the double-barrel shotgun he kept for trespassers and scanned the forest. His finger was twitching on the trigger, eager to let fly a bullet or two when a noise attracted his attention. What sounded like a large bird casually flapping huge wings came from above him to his right. He thought he could even feel the whoosh of air provoked by it, as though a storm was brewing. What the hell? he muttered and looked up when from behind him a deep, ruckus squalling filled the early morning air. He turned abruptly just in time to see an enormous owl-like creature come flying down from the treetop in his direction. Massive wings outstretched and two long legs with terribly long curved claws aiming straight at his head. Farmer Giles never even had time to duck or aim his gun before the clawed feet connected with his shoulders, and with a vice-like grip, picked him up and carried him off, screaming into the air. 
He writhed and pulled at the furry legs in a desperate attempt to free himself, oblivious of the great height they had now reached. It was only when he managed to grab some long, dangling appendage between its legs and squeeze as hard as he could that the creature let go. Giles fell, flapping his arms much like the monster above him was doing, before landing with great thud upon a thick oak branch, instantly breaking his neck and spine. He was dead before he even hit the floor, though his body was never discovered. Only the shotgun was found by a passerby who claimed it for his own. Tom squatted by the area where Sophie and David had been drinking before she had been carried off. He already covered the area where Sophie's body had been found, but any potential evidence or clues had been randomly destroyed by the army of police officers and forensic scientists, looking for evidence of a more mundane nature. The ground was dry and covered with pine needles and broken twigs which made it impossible to determine any suspicious prints, but he didn't expect to find any anyway. According to David, the creature hadn't landed on the ground. It simply swooped down and picked her up in its claws before flying off again, but, he figured, the creature had to live or hunt in this area, because all the sheep and Sophie had been found nearby. He had checked in his files and on the internet concerning other sightings, and all contained similar reports. Many other investigators held a theory that it was related to the UFO sightings that prevailed reliable accounts. But Tom, although a believer in many strange and bizarre phenomena, was not so easily taken in on the possibilities of extraterrestrial entities visiting Earth. His beliefs were of a more earthly nature the possibility of unknown species still living in remote areas of African Congo, perhaps ape-men living in the Himalayas, or sea creatures in vast lakes throughout the world. In his crypto-bible, even discussed possible mammoth or dinosaur relics still surviving in deepest Africa, which, he had to admit, was maybe just a little far-fetched, but who knew? Only recently, a species of large, almost transparent fish had been discovered five kilometers underwater by divers. Although thoroughly trampled by man, there still remained unbelievable as it seemed, areas of the world virgin from human discovery. And, if new species of large rodents could be discovered in relatively civilized countries, what was stopping something like what Tom was looking for? making a home here in Norfolk's Thetford Forest. He stood and scanned the sky instead. All reports coincided in that the creature was only ever seen at night. Therefore, during the day, it must sleep. But where? He began to wander in the general direction to where Sophie had been found, searching for any indication of a nest or possible scratch marks on the trees. It was while absorbed in his thoughts and what he might actually do should he come across the thing, that his attention was diverted. A thud, as though some enormous pine cone had just fallen to the floor, startled him. He hadn't thought of it before, but he suddenly realized just how quiet the forest was. Not a single bird sung in the trees, nor a woodpecker hacking itself out of home. No pheasants or other game birds calling to friends or lovers. The forest might as well have been dead, 
another relic from the distant past left to wither in relative obscurity. He stopped. From nowhere, goosebumps appeared on his arms, and he suddenly felt uneasy, tense. A large twig had just snapped, echoing through the forest, the sound ricocheting like a gun being fired. To his right, he thought he saw something move out of the corner of his eye. He turned abruptly to face it, his hands instinctively clenching into fists, and gave thanks for having brought his large adventurer's knife. There was nothing there. Another twig snapped to his left. He spun again, now seriously concerned. Hello? He called. Is there anybody there? He wished, begged for something to answer. Something human. But nothing came. Only another snapped twig replied, this time behind him. He tensed and spun around again. Nothing. Shit, this really isn't funny, you know? He shouted in the hope of spooking whatever it was. He suddenly recalled how Sophie's body had been found. I, I have a weapon. I'm armed. You better come out now. No response came. Tom decided he didn't really want to be there anymore, so began to hurry towards the clearing, constantly swiveling to check if anything was behind him. It was while looking back that he had tripped over a fallen branch and fell to the floor. Shit, he said, and clutched at his ankle. He had managed to twist it quite badly, sitting on the floor and rubbing his swollen ankle. Another noise startled him from behind. He spun round and gasped. All thoughts of his injured ankle disappeared, as he started both in terror and awe at the thing before him. He recognized it immediately for what it was. The depictions in his various books were exact. It stood approximately seven feet tall and was covered in thick black fur, with two long muscular arms that reached down past its knees. Attached to the arms were hands that seemed absurdly large, ending in long, curved claws whose purpose Tom did not want to know. Two enormous black wings fluttered on its back, yet there was something about the creature that Tom thought almost human-like. It might have been the arms or legs, for no bird or flying mammal possessed such abhorrent mutations and its head was like no creature Tom had ever seen on any known animal. It was enormous, rounded like an owl's, yet wider than its shoulders. Its mouth was undefinable due to the fur that covered its feathers, and Tom would be unable to state with all honesty if it even possessed one. But, as he once more thought of Sophie, such ingenuity abandoned him. Worse were its eyes. Giant round orbs of burning red horror pierced into Tom's own. He felt like he was being scrutinized, as though they searched deep into his mind, leaving him feeling naked and violated. They possessed no eyelids, and literally bulged from whatever served as sockets. He produced the large knife he'd brought with him. He hadn't really expected to see the creature, 
but his enthusiasm and optimism were paramount to his investigations. And besides, it was better to be safe than sorry. Now, though, he had a dilemma. What course of action was he going to take? Before him stood something that might have been a relic of the past, a lone survivor from a time long before man walked the earth, somehow managing to survive against all odds, elementing and hiding in the vast woodlands that still covered the planet. Or maybe it had come from another. The theories presented by UFOologists and other cryptozoologists proving correct. Could he kill what might be a sole remnant of the other worlds? Logic dictated that he would have no choice should it attack, assuming he was actually capable of overpowering it. For surely its strength was equal to its size, and yet, all that he believed in and fought for would be deemed hypocritical, a blasphemy against modern science. What if it was the last of its race? The only other reports came from Virginia, USA. Yet here was one that had somehow flown the Atlantic undetected, and now sought to rebuild a new home in England. Could it be looking for a mate? How would he feel and more importantly be judged if I turned out to be a female and was pregnant with offspring? He'd be forever known as the man who killed the last of this terribly wonderful species. It killed humans, yes, but so did the tiger, lion, bear, and yet are considered majestic. The occasional slaughter of some unfortunate human surely just an accident as it searched for food. And did the bereaved human look to wipe them from earth in retaliation? Only the uneducated, primitive. The creature uttered a low squawk and took a step closer to Tom who subsequently took a step backwards, his knife now held firmly behind his back. He tried to show no fear, for no doubt it would react negatively. And besides, awe and wonder were the predominant sensations he was feeling. Although, the ever-present memory of Sophie was never far behind. Relax, he whispered. I won't hurt you he said, feeling slightly foolish for talking to an animal, if animal it be, but unable to think of any other way to avoid being attacked, and at the same time possibly gain time, took a photo of it. The creature answered with another of its guttural squawks, taking another step closer on legs that were terribly muscular yet at the same time paradoxically seemed unprepared to serve the purpose of bipolar gait. For they tottered nervously, hopping rather than walking naturally. It fluttered its wings, approached further. Tom thought of holding his ground and showing defiance, but bravery was not one of his strong points, so slowly edged back. Then he had an idea. It was quite simply a do-or-die situation, Either the thing would attack and kill him, or fly off, so better to at least try and get evidence of it should it attack. This way his death would not be in vain. Slowly he pulled out his Nikon, never taking his eyes off the imposing creature before him. He raised it to chest height, 
breathing hard, tense, half expecting the thing to attack him at any moment. Then, holding his breath without even realizing, clicked off two quick snaps. In doing so, he had also inadvertently squeezed his eyes shut as he mentally prepared himself for a certain and violent death. Yet it was not the creature's claws that forced them open again, but the shrieking, deafening squawk it suddenly let out. Tom cringed, jolted. The bird thing was reeling, staggering backwards, wings flapping maniacally, and stumbling as though drunk, its terrible shrieking piercing the night sky, forcing Tom to drop his camera and knife and put his hands to his ears in a desperate attempt to drown out the noise. It spun around and bumped into a tree, spun again into another as though blind, and it was then that Tom realized that the camera's potent flash must have temporarily blinded it. Perhaps it had never seen such a bright flash of light. Certainly the sun itself would have been an anomaly for this creature of the night. Something sparked in Tom's mind. Quickly he bent and picked up the camera again, wanting to take advantage of the chaos and obtain clear, more conclusive proof. But before he could do so, the creature finally regained its senses and took flight, clawing desperately, away from the source of its own horror. Tom let out a great sigh, allowed himself to relax his muscles. He looked at the camera and saw that his hands were shaking with excitement. His heart finally dropped to a less manic rhythm as he began to compose himself. What should have been his certain death had converted into something extraordinarily surrealistic. Instead of dying horribly, he now had irrefutable proof of the existence of something that was only known through legend, on par with Sasquatch, the Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabra. He'd be famous, rich, a legend himself among fellow cryptozoologists. Giggling to himself like some drunken teenager, he packed up all his equipment and hurried towards his car, his mind reeling with a thousand ideas of who to send the photos to first. Tom sat at his desk, panting from the exertion of running from car to home in his desperation to print out the photos on his computer. His hands were still trembling. It took two attempts to turn on his laptop. His jaw was starting to ache from the constant grinning. Such was his joy that he had the beginnings of an erection in his groin from the adrenaline rush. But now, that was irrelevant. Panicking briefly when he couldn't find the cable to connect the camera to the laptop, he gave silent thanks when he located it and connected the two. Giddy like a child about to open a much-desired Christmas present. He stared at the screen to see his greatest triumph. He waited and waited. The screen was black. A sensation of utter horror coursed through him, similar only to that felt when confronted by the creature. He wildly pressed the keys, frantic. Nothing. With total dismay, Tears began to well in Tom Robbins' eyes. The sobbing started as a soft and gentle tune, until it converted into an explosive sonic attack of despair. In his excitement, 
he had forgotten to remove the lens cap from the camera. Now, once again, the creature he had dreamed of catching or proving the existence of was to remain what it had always been, a legend, a myth. Mothman might as well not have existed. Thank you.